You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Why is language important? Why do we avoid what we might call gift language when it comes to vocation? Why do we avoid terms such as barren? You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. We have a great conversation ahead of us today. A fine author in studio with us today and sharing with us a new edition of her book, we're going to take a look at He Remembers the Baron from Katie Shorman. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. Find out more about them on our website, kfuo.org. I'm Andy Bates in studio with, oh, I almost left out my co-host this morning. You almost did. Shame on me. <laughs> I'm Sarah Golseth. Good morning, Sarah Golseth. Good morning. <laughs> How are you this fine morning? I'm great. It's Friday. Glad to be here. What Would you like to introduce our guest since I already, like, Walked right over you. Thank, thanks, Andy. Sorry. With us in studio today is the amazing author, Katie Shoreman. Sarah, I'm going to take you with me now and always have you introduce me. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Thank you. It is, it is a pleasure to be here <laughs> on this fine Friday morning. Katie, it's always so fun to have you in studio. You always make the, uh, I don't know, the studio time just fun. Uh, we laugh at each other. We have to... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's effervescent. We have to make sure we turn on the mics after we're done laughing. <laughs> yes, ethereal. <laughs> you are, Katie, you have been writing for some time now. You wrote He Remembers the Baron, was it two years ago, three years ago? I was actually, just as you were speaking your intro, trying to remember <laughs> in case you asked me that. Um, sometimes in my mind, I mistakenly think it's 2009, but that's when I started writing it. I think it actually was published in 2011. Is the official six years ago? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. That's hence hence why we have a second edition coming up. <laughs> sure, a lot has I'm sure has has changed. We've we've learned more in that time. I from what I've read in in and thank you for sharing your book with me, so I could read it uh, in advance as well. It, it seems that you've learned a lot in that time as well, and we'll get into that this morning. Thank you. I I have. Um, it's not necessarily that. A lot of the book has changed, but there were little minor edits I wanted to make throughout the manuscript, primarily because, you know, having lived with this now for, you know, another six years, uh, the Lord has disciplined me in other ways. <laughs> Who is Katie Shurman? Tell us the Katie Shurman story. Oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, how much time do we have? <laughs> I am the third daughter of Bob and Cindy Rowley, and they very faithfully brought me to the waters of holy baptism on September 10th, 1978. And thus begins my life <laughs> in Christ. It's a, It was about one month apart that we were baptized. <gasps> when is your baptism birthday? August 8th, 1978. Oh, that means you're older than me because I was born on the 18th. <laughs> I was actually, I was just a few days from turning three at oh, that point. Oh, so, yeah. okay. So I, yeah, I'm significally older than no. you. <laughs> Way older than me. Three fingers older. <laughs> I won't say anything. <laughs> but I'm much older than Sarah. Although my baptism birthday is July 31st. So oh, it's a good season. I'm right there with you. It's a good season. Yeah. That's coming up soon. It is. I feel like we should celebrate those when they come up. I feel like we should do. We do in our household. We do. We celebrate baptismal birthdays. Days. We get out the baptismal candles and, and uh, observe those. Sometimes it's just a special cup of coffee and uh, 
special for prayer your son in the morning. as well. For, it, oh no, no coffee for him. <laughs> no coffee for him. But usually we're traveling on my wife's baptismal birthday, and so it's usually a, a trip to a local coffee shop for a special latte or something to uh, uh, to say happy baptismal birthday, and then a special prayer. And uh, excellent. Or, yeah, just a reminder that she is God's child, and mine's always during the summer. So yeah, it's, sometimes we're traveling, sometimes we're at home. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you and this fine book, uh, He Remembers the Baron. Why a second edition? Well, honestly, uh, because Lutheran Legacy published the first edition, and they contacted me, gosh, I can't remember, maybe it was a year ago, Um, maybe it was six months ago. My calendar year is messed up. That's what happens when you write. You're not really sure what reality is. Um, but they contacted me to let me know that <clears throat> there was a good chance that um, they may at some point be kind of shutting down their services, though I don't think that's actually the case, actually. Um, they were thinking about that a while back, but I don't think they're actually going to end up doing that. But they very thoughtfully and compassionately said, you might just want to consider moving your manuscript to a different publisher so that it can stay available. And I'm I love them. I'm so grateful for them. <laughs> and uh, so there was opportunity to republish the book. And with that opportunity, I thought, you know what, there are some things in the manuscript I would like to tweak a little bit. And then there are also some things I would like to add to it. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that people have asked of me is they they wished I had talked about adoption a little more in the original book. And full disclosure, <laughs> um, I, I do talk about adoption in the first book, but I, I don't give it its own chapter. And the reason why is because I think at that point in my life, I think I still thought I could control adoption. <laughs> I think though, while I understood from the Lord's discipline that children are a gift from God and I could not give myself the gift of children through conception, I think I still believed I could give myself the gift of a child through adoption. And uh, so I didn't really see that as something that needed to be addressed. And our Lord in his wisdom and in his mercy um, has disciplined me thusly <laughs> since then. And I realized that, oh, actually, um, I, I really should address adoption more fully in the context of gift language. There, there's not an absence of books or articles written on adoption, even in our own synod. Um, But we don't necessarily have a lot published on it that applies gift language to adoption. So that was one thing I definitely wanted to address. Um, And the other thing was, again, being a few more years down the road in our barren marriage, um, I think when I first wrote, he remembers the barren, again, I don't think um, I was mature enough to admit that the Lord disciplines us through our suffering. I do touch on that and he remembers the barren, but I think maybe I was embarrassed to admit that I needed disciplining. (laughs) And so um, I wanted to more fully confess in the book, this reality of, um, you know, that actually we do have some answers in scripture of why we suffer. And I wanted to make sure those answers were clearly proclaimed. And so those were the two major changes in the second edition. Uh, Another thing that was added um, is we included uh, questions, discussion questions Mm -hmm. uh, for each chapter in the book. That was another thing that people had asked. Uh, I I love the natural devotional nature of the book in and of itself. Um, There is obviously each question 
Um, each chapter is a question that barren couples often ask themselves or ask of God. And then the chapter is a narrative that's written to try to answer that question as best we can, which is then followed by uh, a psalm reading and then a hymn stanza and a prayer. So there is a natural devotional flow to the book, but adding discussion questions opens up the book for uh, book groups if they would like to study this topic, or also if you just use it personally on your own, they're good questions for reflection. And those questions, I am so proud to say, were written by my dear friend, Rebecca Mays. She is one of my fellow hosts on the blog, herememberstheberrant.com, and she, very graciously did the hard work (laughs) of taking what I've written and then trying to formulate questions to help people meditate on it. Because I will tell you as a writer, that is one of the hardest things to do. And I gladly put that on her plate. (laughs) (laughs) Good at delegating. That, that, I'm glad you said that you you talked about the, the devotional aspect of it, that these aspects of it are really helpful in meditating on, Mm -hmm. um, on God's word. And really it it, it kind of brings us to those three in, I remember discussing these in theology classes in, in college, the, the three aspects of a a theologian or, or any Christian really, the meditatio, Mm -hmm. uh, tentatio and, Oratio. Those are the only- Oratio, thank you. I see it every day. I can. I only remember I write the first meditatio two. Meditatio every day. <laughs> meditatio, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, and tentatio. You know that meditation. We meditate on God's word. We pray mm-hmm. uh, God's word, and tentatio. We wrestle. We struggle with. Mm-hmm. Where there's this uh, tension, or uh, even even tenacity. That, mm-hmm. that, that comes out when we we have these questions then in this the study that help us wrestle with it and speaking of questions as you were reading it sarah what were the questions you probably have a more than a dozen questions for katie today uh you know, i like to write questions <laughs> <laughs> what are the questions you have i'll i'll i'll, I'll be quiet you'll be quiet um i first of all i just wanted to say if this this was a very emotional read for me and that was a, a bit of an eye-opening thing and it was it was kind of beautiful in a way because it it made me really think um about you know I've, I've seen the book before and i was like oh i know what that's about but but it really i mean you dig in and it's mm. it's it's a really um a deep a deep thing and it was it was really it was good i loved it Thank you. um you have a way of of um of writing what we're all thinking, oh. <laughs> you know, and 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 um and putting into words uh, things that that we all really need to hear, especially people that are that are struggling with these questions. It's something that's that's hard to talk about, mm-hmm. um, and then this is a way for women who are struggling to to have a vehicle to really facilitate those questions and and to build community and, and to really start to to heal and, and to understand why. Um, and that's whose story you tell too. Right. It's not just your story, but many women uh, who whom you've encountered or befriended along the way. You're telling their stories as well. Yes, I I feel as an author, um, and and I am not perfect at this, but I do strive, <laughs> I do strive to always keep in mind that writing is intended to serve my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And one way when writing here remembers the Baron that I tried to serve my neighbor was by not writing about myself. <laughs> I wanted to protect the reader from my own uh, biases, <laughs> my own immaturities, my own anger, my own grief. And while I do write this book in the first person narrative, um, I'm often writing about other people. Uh, I, I do depart from that in one of my new chapters. Uh, my 
chapter entitled, What is this cross I carry? I do, um, I, I chose to write that about myself. Um, again, that's because I wanted to clearly confess how the Lord disciplines me. And that's not necessarily how he disciplines you. <laughs> but I, I wanted to make sure that um, I was being honest about that. And I do share some of my own personal experiences in the book, but I don't, I don't really write about my own family. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's to protect the people that I love um, and also to protect all of you. I, I can get pretty messy in my grief. And so while I wanted to be honest yeah. about it, I didn't want to make you all, I didn't want to shove your faces <laughs> in it. <laughs> but you, you did share some of that. I thought it was, th- there was vulnerability mm-hmm. in that. I mean, you shared some of uh, some of the scene, you know, uh, scenes. I, I pictured it as a play. In my <laughs> mind, or, you know, I pictured it as I'm reading it. There was, there was visual language in it that that really brought me right into I think you were on the phone in one situation. Yes. Oh, uh-huh. it was an awful day. And <laughs> I could feel it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I heard the phone slam down. Yeah. Well, I, I I think there's something to just being honest about our lamentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think David is honest about his lamentation in the Psalms and I, I tried to take that example. Um, I feel like I'm asking an awful lot of a woman who is grieving to listen to me. And I feel like if I'm asking her to be vulnerable to me, it would be helpful if I am first vulnerable to her. I wanted her to see that I I am not pretty. I am not clean. (laughs) I am a sinner. And I I do sometimes give in to the sin of despair. Uh, Thanks be to God that he and his mercy, you know, he sends me the comforter, uh, often through my pastor, through my husband, through my friends and family. But I, um, I need people to take care of me, and I'm I'm trying to show that in this book so that um, that not only the barren woman who reads this book, but also her family can see how much she needs them, mm-hmm. and she doesn't need them to change her or to try to remove the cross that given that God has given her. Um, she needs them to remind her that God is with her all the time by their being with her all mm-hmm. the time even when it's messy. And so I I wanted to show examples of that in the book. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> We're both dying to ask questions. Okay. Um, so, then, so then someone who reads this, um, what can they take away from it to help their friends who may be struggling with this? I think one of the major take-home points <laughs> is uh, um, a little bit of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I think in this book, we can't help but look at ourselves and, and think, oh, how do I treat people when they're sad? How do I treat people when they're grieving? And most of us, I think when we're honest, um, we realize the way we treat them is we try to cover up their pain so we don't have to look at it. Mm-hmm. And we do that in a variety of different ways. We do that um, by uh, trying to uh, change their life so it doesn't look so messy. Um, We do that by ignoring them. We do that by shutting them down. Um, We do that by classifying their pain in our head and in our heart and then in our language. Uh, It's so much easier to, um, rather than have to look look at and experience somebody else's pain, it's so much easier if we can just label it as something and then put it in a file in our head and and put it away. Um, That way we don't have to look at it very often. And so I think one of the major take home points of this book is to really look at our neighbor and not try to change them. Maybe to identify that God not only gives the gift of children, he also gives the gift of suffering (laughs) and that, that he is working it for the good of all of us. And so maybe the right thing to do, maybe the holy thing to do is not to try to change what God is doing but instead to um, preach God's promises 
to the person who is hurting because that is where the real work is. You've mentioned gift and gift language uh, several times. Why is this, why have we lost this? this I, where does gift language come from? Why do we not use that on a daily basis? I, I am ashamed to say, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't even aware of such a thing until the Lord disciplined me in my barrenness. Um, I definitely thought children were something I could have. Children were something I deserved. Children were something um, that I am entitled to because I'm married and I've lived, you know, this good of a life or whatever, which is also a lie. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think just um, we're Americans. We're mm -hmm. taught the American dream. You go out, you go for what you want and you achieve it because it's possible. And I, uh, we, we talk about children that way. Even we talk about it insofar as that maybe actually it's not good to have children. Maybe it's better actually to make more money. Maybe actually it's better to get more education. Maybe it's better to, um, you know, get a different job instead of um, taking care of people in your home. And I, I am not in any way trying to box anybody into a particular situation where something is good or bad. What I'm saying is that we have taken what God speaks about in his word as a gift. We have taken children and somehow <clears throat> in our world, we've, we've turned them into a commodity that is to be earned, that is to be bought, that is to be manufactured or controlled. We even use the phrase, make a baby. We do. We use the phrase <clears throat> family planning. Uh, that just by language alone suggests that family is not something to have or to receive or to serve. <laughs> family is to be planned. Um, we, we even um, in the, the field of barrenness, we talk about fertility science, infertility science. Um, just that phrase alone suggests how we as the world approach this issue. And again, I, I am very thankful for fertility science. <laughs> it's been helpful to me, though it is not... Um, achieved our getting a child, it has uh, benefited me insofar as pain relief. Um, it's helped me sleep better. Uh, it's helped me um, cope with certain losses of functions in my body so that I can better serve my family, my husband. So I'm very thankful for fertility science. Um, but we, we think that that is how we get children. Um, and while our Lord may use science to help us, to help support our body and life. Um, God is the giver of the gift of children. And how do we know that? We know it because it says so in his word. Children are a heritage from him, a gift, a reward, a blessing, a fruit. That is the language that he uses. Children are the blessing he spoke over marriage, um, not only to Adam and Eve, but also to Noah and his family. Um, we know with clarity in God's word that children are a blessing. And remember, blessing doesn't mean that they make us happy. <laughs> blessing doesn't mean it's easy. It means that we know that God sees them this way and we believe it is so. And we receive blessings from God. Uh, somebody once said to me, and I think this is helpful, how many of us says, no, Lord, I really don't want a good crop this year. <laughs> no, that's too too much too much corn, Lord. You know, we can't we can't possibly you know mm -hmm. take that reap that harvest. You know, or how many of us say, Lord, no, you know, um, I don't really think you should heal my family from cancer. You know, please don't bless me that way. It's funny how we we 
we do recognize some blessings. We do recognize mm-hmm. healing and food and money, clothing, shoes, house, home, <laughs> our neighbors. We recognize all the things that are definitely gifts from the Lord. Well, children are another one of those gifts, even when we don't want them, even when we don't appreciate them, we know they're a gift from the Lord. And so I think in the church, we have abandoned this use of gift language at some point. Um, And uh, I think that makes it difficult to talk about barrenness because if we don't recognize who is the source of life, then we have a hard time talking to people who are not being given that gift of life. Um, We have faulty language that fails to deliver comfort. It fails to deliver truth and it definitely fails to deliver babies. And so um, that trips our tongues. What are we, how, Mm -hmm. what can we possibly say to somebody who's grieving with, you know, from barrenness? Well, I guess I'm going to talk to her about fertility science. I guess I'm going to talk to her about family planning. I guess I'm going to talk to her about birth control. I mean, you know, all these things that we're told. In... I don't remember what chapter it's in. I pull out a quote that <laughs> stood out for me. No one really wants to know what it's like to be barren. Mm-hmm. Is that because deep down people really do think a woman can and should control her fertility? Or is it because a barren woman challenges whether or not any of us ha- really has any control? Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> well, this is why I think it's difficult for people to be around barren couples and not start speaking that faulty language because I think barren couples scare us. When we face a barren couple, we're seeing something that is not right. We know from God's word that he spoke the blessing of children over marriage, yet for some reason they have not been given the gift of children. I think our spiritual meter Spiritualometer. <laughs> is that a word? It is now. It's on the radio. <laughs> I think there's something that go an alarm that goes off in us and says, This this is a result of sin. This is a brokenness of the flesh. This is a brokenness in the world. And ah, you know, this can happen. Oh no. You know, just like we do when we see any kind of illness or bereavement of any kind. And so when we see that. We panic. We panic because it's the law. It's the law holding up a mirror in front of our face that says, points out, first of all, the fact that, um, oh, this could happen to me or, oh, this hasn't happened to me and I don't know how to make it right for them. And it's the law. And as we know, the, you know, <laughs> the answer to the law is mercy in Christ Jesus. Um, and the same is true for the barren. I think that people are afraid to look at um, the barren because of, first of all, that faulty language, like we mentioned before. They, they don't know how to comfort them because the language we've been given as a culture is, is, is not right. Um, it's not going to speak the gospel to the barren um, because the truth to the barren is this. God has not given you the gift of children. Ouch. Mm. What do we do with it now? Mm-hmm. Well, and I say this not tritely, I say this sincerely, God has given me promises just as as he has given you. Those promises just sometimes we're mixed up about what they are. The promise is not that God will give me the gift of a child. He does not promise me that in his word. Outside of promising to give me the child Jesus to save me from my sin, God does not promise anywhere that I can find in scripture that he will make me a mother of my own children. What he does promise me is that he will never leave me nor forsake me. 
that in my baptism, he has adopted me into his family. And now even my broken body, this, this wretched broken flesh will live eternally in Christ Jesus. I will be made new on the last day and my tears will be wiped away. They will be no more. And I'm an heir of heaven. Even though I'm wretched, that precious inheritance is mine. He promises me that he not only will hear my prayers, he will answer them. Even when I don't like the answer, he's still answering me. He promises me that he is near to the brokenhearted. He promises me that he will save me from my sin. He promises me that he will love me. He promises me um, that he will serve me through the people in my life. These promises are real. They're true. They're proven. (laughs) And that's the truth we can speak to each other, whatever cross that we bear. And they didn't require a clinical study. No, it didn't. And you know, here's the other thing. God may someday bless me with a gift of a child. God be praised. But I know from scripture that the Lord has given and the Lord takes away. And whatever the circumstance is, in faith, I can say, blessed be the name of the Lord, because he has promised me all good things. And, and while barrenness is bad, it is, it is fruit of brokenness in the world. While, while that is not a good thing, I have another promise from God, which is he will work all things for my good and for the good of my neighbor. And so while I look at this horrible thing and I recognize it for the wretchedness that it is, in faith, I can look at it and say, but this is good for me in some way because God has promised that it is. And now, you know, six years later, writing the second edition of Here Remembers the Baron, I am still very sad. I have a lot of pain, but I can assure you those promises from God are true that even in your wretchedness, even in your sadness, he does comfort us. He does sustain us. And the thing that he gives me that nobody can take away is not necessarily a child, but he has given me faith, faith which trusts in him amidst this pain. I can't think of a more precious gift than that. Mm. Thanks be to God for that gift. Amen. <laughs> and you certainly do, you, you hear that, or you, you read that gift in read of that gift in in this book he remembers the baron second edition uh how can we get that uh that second edition how can we get our a copy of that yes well the publisher of the second edition is emmanuel press and they have a website which is emmanuelpress.us E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L press.us. It has been such a pleasure to work with them. They Their standard of excellence, <clears throat> I think, can be seen by the cover of the book. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and we didn't get to talk about it. I know. We ha- we'll have to do another whole program just on the art of the book. Yes, we, I agree. We are all out of town. Uh, all out of town. All out of time. <laughs> I should head out of town. Um, we're all out of time and uh, we'll post, uh, Sarah will post the the, uh, the link to the, to Manual yep. Press this afternoon as Thank well with, with today's program. Katie, always a joy to have you in studio. Thank you so much for coming over and being our guest today and, uh, and, and for your work on the second edition. Thank you for serving me by listening to me and bearing my pain. Thank you. <laughs> coming up in just a little bit, we're going to learn more about what's going on with Lutheran Indian Mission right here in the United States. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. More Faith and Family right after this.
Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu.